Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to After Work Drinks, your weekly dose of news, pop culture, and Pinot Noir, brought to you by journalists and best friends, Isabel Truman and Grace O'Neill. Hello. Today, After Work Drinks was done in by actual After Work Drinks gone awry. A hundred percent, It's like yeah. the aftermath of After Work Drinks, yep. by which we mean we're both, me especially, hunched over with a hangover in yeah. the studio. <laughs> yeah. We had to run into ACAST and ask the lovely people to... Lend us SD cards. We don't have our laptops, but we're just, I mean. We're in a highly frazzled state, but we're we're chilling out. (laughs) (laughs) We've got coffees in hand. Yeah. So we went to a work event last night, which was very fun. Um, And before we left, actually, Grace was being quite mature and she was like, remember, we have to record in the morning. And that went out the window after about two champagnes. I just forgot. I completely forgot. Yeah, because we usually don't do it at that time. Yeah. yeah, it was very fun. And then we got pizza afterwards and went home. Mm. Had a little sleepover. Had a little sleepover, which was fun. Watched Love Island. Yes. I tried to order fried chicken yep. at like midnight. midnight and fell asleep while I was doing it and woke up and it was delivery app was open <laughs> on my phone. And I was like, thank God that didn't work. Yeah, when you were trying to do that, we literally just had two big pizzas for dinner and then we got home and you're like, I'm starving to death. And I suddenly then, felt like I might literally die yeah. if I didn't eat And then I tender. was watching you trying to order it while I was watching Love Island and then literally within one second you just fell asleep and your phone was still open. Yeah. I was like, thank God for that. I know, my emails this morning. And the thing as well, because we're in England, we've got to be quite – like if you're putting up fun – Instagrams from a night out there going out at like 10 a.m. on a Wednesday in Sydney. You know what I mean? Like it just looks much more red hot. Yeah. Gotta be censored. <laughs> I need to have my phone taken off me. Yeah. I know. I was like, oh, I, <laughs> I don't want to say it. <laughs> um, our friend was trying to convince me to join Raya, <laughs> the celebrity <laughs> dating app. 
he was like, I think I've got a few referrals that I can pull in for you, but you're going to have to do it in the next like seven days or one. No, he goes in the next seven hours because it's expiring now. We're on borrowed time. And I was like, okay. Raya, I can't handle that. So no, that didn't happen in the end. (laughs) On the topic of me being single, um, it feels like it's been a year since we released that episode last week. Mm. Um, But on the topic of that, I got obviously, as I've posted about and written articles about, so many incredible responses. It was so heartwarming and lovely. And it was funny because I'm quite an open book, so I didn't even really feel... Obviously, it's it's a vulnerable thing to be putting that out to thousands mm. of people. But I'm sitting in a room talking to my best friend who I've talked to about it a million times. So it didn't feel as big as it kind of was. And then getting all of the messages from everyone saying how much it resonated with them and how amazing it is to have someone be so open about it. It, was, it felt really nice. But I did feel very raw afterwards. Yeah, I think the response was just a reminder of how amazing the community we have is and how amazing women are when they rally around each other and how, like we've talked about, and Brene Brown always talks about, vulnerability makes for happier, more fulfilled people, even though it's hard in the moment. Yeah, exactly. I, as well, I kind of wish that I had talked about it sooner because I didn't talk about it sooner because it's so fresh and raw and I, one of the big reasons we didn't talk about it sooner is because I'm still getting my head around mm-hmm. the narrative. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I hadn't even told heaps of my close friends because you know, you don't want to discuss your reasons for breaking up with someone or getting really into the nitty gritty. Mm-hmm. And then when I realized we could just discuss heartbreak as a whole and how it's made me feel, I kind of wish I did that sooner because realizing that so many other people feel the same way made me feel so much less crazy. Like I was feeling crazy. Like I was actually losing my mind for mm-hmm. the past six weeks. Um, so it was so nice. And I got just so many messages from mm. amazing women telling me their stories. Like one woman messaged me the other day and she's said she listened to – she was introducing her friend to the podcast um, on a road trip between Wanaka and Queenstown, so in New Zealand. And they're on her – what would have been her honeymoon. Mm. Um, but her and her partner broke up and then they, her and her best friend went on her honeymoon together and I they listened that. to that episode together. That's amazing. Yeah, which is so nice. And then the other thing I guess I wanted to touch on is that in the episode I talked about how, you know, I feel like I'm kind of coming out the other side and I, and I can finally see a light at the end of the tunnel. And while, while that's true, I think it's, it's important to note that on Monday, I spent the whole day bawling my eyes out again at the wing. And for the first time, I literally walked into... So I walked through the reception of my therapist's office with other people waiting because it's like a proper big place where there's other psychologists. Um, was sobbing, like walking mm-hmm. in sobbing and then walked through the door and just threw all my stuff down crying and I, and feeling horrible again. And I think that I kind of thought, oh you know, now it's going to be all up from here. And it was a stark reminder that it's going to be very up and down for a long time. And, you know, I may feel like I'm out of the worst of it, but that can easily, very easily happen. Yeah, and it's a, it's obviously just a process of recovery or whatever it is. And I think the podcast could be seen as this nice bookend tying up a terrible yeah. period in your life and then yeah. you cried about it on the podcast and then everything was fine again. But obviously that's not how real life works and you're going to have a string of great days and you're going to have much longer strings of great days before you have a bad day. Yeah, the, exactly. Bad days don't stop. It's just like yeah. balancing it out. And yeah, that's what some really wonderful women were messaging me as well. They were saying the exact same thing. They were just like, you'll think that you're 
you've come out the other side and then you'll feel absolutely horrible again. I think that's important to note because I think I feel like I kind of sounded like I was like, oh, yeah, this happened and now I'm fine. Yeah. Which isn't true, but I'm getting there. <laughs> Which isn't true at all. <laughs> the slightest. But she's getting there. Let's talk about two things that we both sort of watched this week, which are huge talking points mm-hmm. and recommendations. The first is the Netflix series Cheer, which I think is not something that we would have ever thought to watch if it hadn't had this kind of viral. I think that's like everyone. No everyone one feels like that. To watch yeah. it and then... who, were the, who were the canaries down the mine that were like, I'm just going to watch this I and know. then told everyone else it was amazing. Yeah. So it's a Netflix documentary series on... Uh, cheerleaders in the US and high school right high school level college yeah whatever that means but the whole thing is they're trying to get their team good enough to win the Daytona cheer festival cheer they're trying to get their team good enough to win the Daytona competition which happens every year and it's actually funny a girl I went to cheer is a thing in New Zealand right unexpected yeah and I a girl I went to high school with was part of a cheerleading team and they went to Daytona when they were like 16 and won the competition in an Auckland school. Yeah, so this is about one of the most famous cheer teams in the world. So they're they're not like underdogs because they've won it a billion times before, but it's really about how they had this coach called Monica Aldama who um, basically turned this kind of small-scale Texas squad into the most recognised squad in the world and how every single year there's pressure to kind of one-up what they've done in the past and it's not – what we imagine cheerleading to be. It's basically really intricate, crazy gymnastics routines with 20 or so people. I know, when you think of cheerleading, you think you're dancing around with pom-poms, but then when you watch what they do, it is literally like the best of gymnastics mm. mixed with dance, mixed with... What else are they doing? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Calisthenics or something. Yeah. something. Um, but they talk about that at the start of the, the documentary about how... Everyone has this idea of cheerleaders just being the pretty blonde girls from high school standing on the sidelines during football matches and how it's completely evolved to being a really respected sport in its own right. I had a bit of a different reaction to watching it to a lot of people. I think Reese Witherspoon tweeted about how amazing and inspiring she found it and um, there's obviously been a huge amount of like noise about how inspiring, especially the coach Monica is. The kids are amazing. The whole idea is that a lot of them come from really, really disadvantaged backgrounds and that the only thing that's kept them out of drug addiction or jail is having this sport to focus on. And the coach is kind of like a mother figure to them. But I found it quite disturbing, a lot of the things that they're forced to do or the things they're forced to put their bodies through for what is essentially this woman's kind of personal ambition ego trip all the time I understand that all sports people have to put themselves through really difficult physical strains but you had stuff like there was a girl who fell doing a kind of dangerous stunt and concussed herself and she wasn't sent to the hospital they have an on doctor guy who was like just stay don't look on your phone tonight when you go home and aren't you saying weren't you saying to me when we talked about this earlier that because Monica wants to win every single year, she's pushing the girls harder and harder every year to do more insane moves that the other teams won't be doing. Yeah, she's like fighting against herself essentially yeah. because they're so good. So she's kind of making everyone else in the sport work at a higher level. But it often means that these kids who we know because of the nature of the show are extremely vulnerable and that this is their only good thing, good thing in life and that they really, really want her approval. The girl who got concussed was like, oh, this is my sixth concussion. 
And then there was another girl who it's thought like American she'd... football. It's like, yeah, it's like I feel as if it's the modern version of that American football thing that everyone was talking about in 2009 because there was another thing where a girl thought she'd broken a rib but she was so scared of missing practice that she went to the ER room in secret and then they wanted to give her muscle relaxants and she said that she couldn't have them because it would impact her practice. You know, that they're so desperate. And I understand people will say that's just elite sport mm. but I just... I didn't find her an inspiring girl boss. I found her a bit. Yeah. I think I think the thing that got me about it was when you said, yeah, she's trying so hard to keep getting bitter and bitter and bitter. So doing more dangerous moves that's putting these girls' bodies through such crazy strain just to win the competition. Like, yeah, you know that's what I mean. What I mean. I'm like ambition isn't a virtue in and of itself. Like you're not a great person just because you're ambitious at all costs. I just think mm. that that's a strange thing to glorify in people. And I think that that she, the girls say things like, Monica's a mother to us. And I just couldn't help but thinking her daughter's in the show. She wouldn't be letting her 19-year-old daughter get six concussions in a row. Yeah. By smashing her head on a six-foot-five man over and over and over again to get a stunt right. I just think it's not and then the, right. The crazy part about it as well is Daytona is the biggest the it's as high as cheerleading goes so there's nothing further from that yeah so these girls are working so 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 hard to win this one competition and once they've won that competition that's it there's no career there's nothing that they can really take from it exactly and most other sports you work that hard but you're working towards the olympics or whatnot and i Mm. just think that there's more regulation in those sports and there seems to be here. And even though they quote a statistic in the show where they said that 65% of all female, I I can't remember what they call them, catastrophic injuries, which means either death or paralysis, full body paralysis, 65% of all female catastrophic injuries come from cheerleading. That's crazy. That's insane. Like that isn't normal. I also... And they didn't investigate it anymore. They just said that and were like, (laughs) and here's a girl smashing her head on the ground over and over again. Everyone's like, woo. Girl boss. Yeah. The cut did a how I get it done with her, with Monica. I was like, no. No, Monica. Not a fan. I also just want to take one second to um this is our how Grace is every single week, but we have no laptops in front of us, no notes. <laughs> She's sitting here with a coffee hungover, just rattling off statistics. It's so <laughs> it's so funny because your your memory is just so good. And this, yeah, I mean this is memory. this is how you speak every week. Like Grace doesn't even look at a computer for notes, and I usually just have like stuff up in front of me in case I lose my train of thought, but you're just cracking me up with how you're like, 65% of all catastrophic <laughs> injuries, as quoted According by Harvard. A 2002 report. <laughs> Jesus. But speaking of um, kind of wild claims is the Goop documentary. <laughs> yes. So Gwen did a – she produced – a Netflix documentary. Which a glorified ad for Goop. A glorified ad for Goop, um, which I fucking am obsessed with. Each episode focuses on like a different health and wellness trend. So episode one, actually episode one is so great. So Gwyneth's Goop chief content officer, who's she's really close with and does everything with, and she's just this... I don't know how old she'd be, maybe early 40s. Mm. They fly to Brazil with a bunch of other ones, like an art director and just the the team flies to Brazil and then takes mushrooms. Amazing. And films the whole thing. That's exactly what I want out of that series. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Netflix has locked me out for some reason. Yeah, so it's episode one and within about five minutes, this woman who is so put together and the head of goop is lying on the ground and she goes, 
I thought I was inside a tree and then I realized I was inside an organ and it was scary. So she's <laughs> she's still really high. She's lying on the ground really high at this point looking at this guy, her colleague. Did I read that they, some of them start really crying as well and freaking, like not yeah. freaking out? But so, well, it's they're doing it for ther- therapy. So mm-hmm. they're doing it as a kind of meditative in a controlled environment thing. So these mm-hmm. these people who take mushrooms for therapy are talking them through. It's like a counselling session. Mm-hmm. So one of them went there because she was super close with her dad. She works at Goop. They all work at Goop. And one of them went there because she was super close with her dad and then he killed himself five years mm-hmm. ago and she hadn't dealt with it at all. And I think she said she'd gone to counselling but hadn't. she just really hadn't dealt with it. And then she said after she did this, these mushrooms with these people who were guiding them through their trip and talking to them and getting to all these different places in the brain that they'd kind of shut down because they didn't want to deal with their grief. She said that she felt like she'd gone to 10 years worth of therapy wow. afterwards. That reminds me of ayahuasca. Have you heard yeah. of that? Yeah, so one of the guys, the group guys, said that he did that. But basically these people who are talking are saying that it's quite dangerous because people will hear of doing things like that um, ayahuasca in the jungle in the Amazon rainforest mm. or whatever um, but because it's not a controlled environment they had some statistic which you would remember off the top <laughs> of your head but I cannot about how when psychedelics go wrong it's because of one of three factors it's either you're taking too much mm. the wrong dosage you're not in a controlled environment or you're taking something that's not pure or right. proper kind of thing yeah. and when you control all those environments which is what they do in this Brazil place it can be really beneficial and there's heaps of studies and they list all these studies. So Goop is just so funny. I can't deal that they just sent their whole team to Brazil to take mushrooms and then filmed it. It's amazing. Yeah. Secondly, I did I read that every episode has a disclaimer that essentially says this is for entertainment and none of it's medically yeah. sound. Yeah. But then they rattle off statistics about – it's weird that they have that because there's a lot of research about a certain – drugs being used like MDMA being used or yeah, well, being ha- used for PTSD that. on soldiers and things like that that's all yeah. quite legitimate scientific yeah so they talk to um, people who've done MDMA research for therapy and they play clips of people doing MDMA therapy or whatever um, does so Gwyneth what was the headline you showed me Gwyneth did MDMA with her husband yeah. as a therapeutic thing. no she just took it ah, in Mexico but not on Goop Lab, no. just personally. Yeah, okay. so she was having this conversation <laughs> with the two people who were championing psychedelics for therapy, and she was just, she kind of said a throwaway comment, and then her mate, the, her chief content officer, who she's obviously really close with, just looked at her and was like, didn't you do it once? And then she goes, <laughs> and then she kind of was just like, yeah, uh, myself and Brad did it in Mexico, and... I think she said it was just fun or something. And then another one, it's this guy called Wim Hof. Wim Hof, I'd even heard of Wim Hof. Zach has gone to a Wim Hof thing in Sydney and I remember him telling me about it and they all got in a giant ice bath, Mm. like hundreds of people together and sat in it for five minutes. Yeah, my friends do ice baths. One of my friends, our friend Harley and stuff, do ice baths all the time. Mm. And Gwyneth was saying her... Son always does them and takes the cold showers. So so Wim Hof's whole thing is training the mind through breath to kind of be able to control pain receptors and as a way of slowing down anxiety and basically being able to calm your brain. And so what he does is he does this breathing technique and he teaches goop people. So I think six of them 
fly to some freezing place <laughs> covered mm-hmm. in snow. But basically, he teaches them the breathing techniques and he gets them to jump wearing bikinis into Lake Tahoe, which is covered in snow around it. It's freezing cold mm. and swim through it. And I think another thing that he does is he encourages people to take cold showers in the morning. It's so funny, though, because my friend goes, yeah, um, someone recommended I take cold showers in the morning to clear my brain. And she said she did it and just hated it. And I was like, I think the whole point of it is the breathing techniques <laughs> is doing the meditation thing. So yeah. the cold shower isn't freezing cold. Otherwise, you're just taking a freezing cold shower yeah. for no other reason. My boiler's broken at the moment, so I should watch Wim Hof so I can take advantage of it to yeah. meditate is in it? the morning. You don't even tell me that. It just flicks in and out. Mm. But, you know, that's an administrative problem. You guys don't have to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> it happens over here. We had cold. Um, we had no hot water for three weeks. Should be illegal for there to be cold water in the dead of winter. It actually is. <laughs> you can you can get your rent back. FYI. Oh. Mm. There was also an episode with Betty Dodson, right? I haven't seen that, but yeah. I'm a fan of her. The pleasure is ours episode. I I cannot wait to watch this show. Yeah, it's just incredibly up my alley. Yeah, she is a legend. So she's ninety, and she's coached yeah. over nine thousand women on how to orgasm. I remember, so when I first started at L, which was six years ago, I think, five years ago, one of my first jobs as an intern was to um, transcribe and syndicate a story about Betty Dodson into the magazine. And a journalist had gone to her New York studio and had written a very detailed account of what it's like. And it's a cr- it's crazy. Mm-hmm. I remember there was a line where she just came over and just like grabbed a vibrator and just shoved it up one of the women. Oh in the middle of the thing. God. Yeah, it was nuts. She's she's so she's this kind of legendary sex therapist whose whole thing is about women learning to orgasm and pleasure themselves. And I think there's an episode of Sex in the City that's parodying her or based off her where uh, they all go to a sex workshop. Do you remember I went to a sex workshop for a story? Oh, my God. Do you remember that? I remember you talking about it. I don't remember you going. Yeah. I went for a weekend with all of these women um, did we ever discuss this? I don't know. I don't think we did. I don't know why we wouldn't have. I'm Neither. so confused. I know. I kind of forgot this happened. But it was in um, Newtown in Sydney and I went Saturday and Sunday and it was all women much older than me um, or were married and had been in relationships for ages and they all had different things with sex. And mine at the time was that I just didn't feel like having sex ever. Mm-hmm. and Which is very common. Which is so common. Mm-hmm. And and that's another thing is we talk about, we're so open with things like this that I thought every woman knew that mm-hmm. it's very common to stop feeling like sex. And then one of my friends the other day said that she thought she was, there was something wrong with her right. because she doesn't feel like having sex. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I was doing it for a story, but also, so I'd interviewed someone uh, when I worked at Marie Claire on the phone at, about um, how to regain your sex drive because I was writing a big feature on it mm-hmm. because basically I just wanted to learn. Mm-hmm. And then um, she was telling me that she took these these workshops and then asked me to come along and write a story about it. And so Amazing. I went along for the weekend and it was actually the coolest weekend ever. It was another one of those things where before you go, before I went, I was actually needed to be dragged in mm-hmm. because I was so nervous. Yeah, and also I was kind of, I don't know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to spend the weekend with all these people I didn't know talking about sex. Mm. And when I got in there, everyone was so amazing. It was so interesting. They did the same thing that um, these guys did on the sh- on the Goop show where you were partnered up with someone and you had to stare into their eye 
without breaking eye contact for three minutes and it was really weird and confronting and hard yeah and then we learned so how to what, what was the idea of that like creating intimacy or yeah something? yeah um and we learned how to meditate and we talked about sex a lot what else and all the women were so cool it was mm. just this really really rich sydney housewife and she was just <laughs> like i just want to get off more and and just te- it was just it was so many different people from all aspects of life. But that is a massive thing that um, and I haven't seen the group episode, but I'm sure she touches on is there's a huge what they call the pleasure gap between mm. men and women. And like we talked about in a previous episode, so much of sex in pornography and in the way it's discussed is all about catering to men's pleasure. So having someone start a conversation about how women can kind of get in on the action is amazing, especially yeah. a 90 year old New Yorker called Betty. They said in the group show that a 2017 study of Pornhub's most viewed videos showed that females were reaching orgasm just 18.3% of the time. So just 18% of the time on Pornhub's most popular videos, women were getting off as well as And on as Pornhub men. as well, when they were probably faking it in those 18% of times anyway. Yeah. God, I've got the worst memory, but I need to remember more about this sex workshop day. I know, please do. Please have a little think and, and then, come back next week. Yeah, and by the end of it, I think because at the start, the women were kind of a little bit reserved about me because, so I didn't say I was a journalist to start off with, but I told them all, but I think they were a little bit reserved because I was younger. They were kind of like, what do you even need to be doing here? Mm-hmm. You know, we've been married for 20 years and now we're trying to get the spark back in our marriage and you're just this 25-year-old girl. Mm. And then by the end of it, we were all such great friends and we started mm. a Facebook group. And like, what, what is this secret life that you've had that I didn't <laughs> I go to sex about. workshops all the time. They're like, and now I teach them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and have for two years. It's like when someone mentioned Reiki and I am like a level three Reiki healer or I, some crap because my mum is a reiki can you do reiki on me yeah please it's so fun i really want to do it yeah my godmother is this reiki legend woman who's really famous amazing like mom why go on group lab yeah so group obviously the criticism leveled at group lab and anything related to group is that it is very obviously for a very specific subset of wealthy upper middle class majority white, majority Californian women who look like Gwyneth Paltrow and it kind of promotes, I think it seems like a lot of the things she promotes are about being thin, being attractive, being whatever. And like that's kind of the end game. Doesn't she go on a three-day starvation cleanse to restart her system or something? like that? There's obviously an element of that at play, but I think to completely act as if it has no value because – it's Gwyneth Paltrow and you don't want to listen to anything she has to say. I just, if I hear another thing about the bloody jade egg, like mm. everyone just get over it, just get over it. I think. It doesn't mean nothing she says can ever be of value ever again. I love it. She's just a bit woo woo, but so, who cares? I know. Heaps of people are. That's why it's so successful. And she's tackling interesting issues. Female pleasure gap, interesting. Yeah. Meditation through freezing yourself to death, interesting. <laughs> Psychedelics to deal with depression trauma. post-trauma, very yeah. interesting. She, the only thing that I would say is it's kind of a very privileged approach. You know, of course, pe- yeah. In terms of, yeah, she did, so she did a cleanse, which is supposed to reset your, what's it called? There's like your biological age and your. Yeah, actual age. Yeah, actual age. And it's supposed to make your biological age reversed. 
but the cleanse would cost, I don't know, $300 to do or $400 for five days kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So she does do very privileged things. But also Wim Hof, you could do, you could learn the breathing techniques and do in your shower tomorrow. Exactly. And the pleasure thing. Or go for cold swims. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah, pleasure thing. Just hit me up on my yeah. website. And if you're not interested, just don't watch it. I'm just a bit over everyone hating on Gwyneth. Mm. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. On to a more serious note, it was very sad this week when the news broke that Kobe Bryant, the star basketball player, had died in a helicopter crash in Los Angeles and his daughter Gianna, who was 13 years old, uh, was also one of the victims. He's obviously, I think he's considered in the top 20 at least, yeah, most important best, basket players of all time. Best of all time, yeah. The aftermath has been a really interesting assessment of how we make sense of important people, important but complicated people, after they pass away. And there's been a big conversation in the media and sort of online on Twitter about how to deal with the fact that Bryant had a rape allegation against him in the early 2000s. There's been a whole bunch of cases, for example, a Washington Post journalist tweeted about it after he died and was inundated with thousands and thousands and thousands of death threats and was actually put on administrative leave from the Washington Post. Mm. And now 200 staffers from the Washington Post have signed an open letter saying that that's completely inappropriate and that they disagree with the decision and that you cannot punish a journalist for publishing something that is true just because it's maybe poor timing or yeah and and wasn't she posting a washington post article that they'd written two years prior about the rape allegations it was a daily beast article which was a, a deep dive into the case that they published in 2016 i think to coincide with with him retiring. Mm-hmm. And it was about his complicated legacy as being a highly important person, a role model to millions of people and especially young black men, um, but also having this complicated story of a sexual assault case, which for all intents and purposes, it's very hard to prove sexual assault cases. This is something he actually admitted to at the time. Yeah. The famous quote is something along the lines of, I thought I was having a consensual encounter, but I, but I realized now. that she now thinks that it wasn't consensual and I apologize wholeheartedly. And also just to kind of add to it, it was a case where there was a lot of physical evidence where a lot of the times there isn't. So Yeah, overwhelming physical yeah, evidence so where she, he actually said that nothing happened physically and then the physical evidence included her blood on his shirt. Blood everywhere, yeah. Blood everywhere. And bruises around her neck. Yeah. yeah. It was happened mm-hmm. without a doubt. But then it's kind of, I guess, when someone's so universally loved and they die, I guess it begs the question of where these where this sits because I mean I think it's important to acknowledge that this can happen 
But then I don't know if, if I find it important to acknowledge that you have to do that on the day he died. Exactly. I think that's the complicated thing. And the Slate ran a great piece where they looked at all the different ways media outlets had referenced it in his obituary. So you had a, a huge chunk of, of news outlets just didn't reference it at all. Mm. Places like the New York Times, I think, really tastefully referenced it uh, as an example of someone who was not a perfect character, mm-hmm. to put it mildly, but also recognised all of his myriad and amazing and commendable achievements as well. The fact that he was a fantastic father, the fact that he was a great role model for people too. And I think that we need to be able to sit culturally with two opposing things. And I think that a lot of the criticism against people who've mentioned it is this idea that it somehow cancels out every single good thing he's ever done to bring up one terrible thing that he's done. But we need to be mature enough to be able to sit with like two contradictory things at the same time and paint a whole portrait of someone. Exactly. I think it's really important to show that you can be both of those things at the same time. Yeah. Because it doesn't take away from all of the amazing things he did, but it adds to the fact that humans are complicated and these things unfortunately happen. And just pretending that it hasn't happened is just a weird way to go about it. Yeah, exactly. And it acts as if that accuser's story means nothing or is irrelevant Mm. and it's not fair to do that either. I think a really interesting reference for this was Evan Rachel Wood, an actress who's a massive advocate against sexual violence against women. Um, She tweeted something along the lines of, he was a fantastic father and role model. What happened to him and his daughter is heartbreakingly sad. He also raped someone. We have to be able to sit with those things, which is, I think she tweeted it like very soon after he died and she obviously got a huge amount of backlash. I, again, on the fence about, I don't know, I don't know if Twitter's the best place to like (laughs) demonstrate a complicated argument like that, but whatever. But a lot of the comments back to her highlighted, which I think is a really good point, what is often the hypocrisy of like white feminism where Evan Rachel Wood has worked with Woody Allen before. Yeah. And when David Bowie died, she put a huge thing up about, I'm absolutely heartbroken and shaking. No artist has ever meant so much to me as David Bowie. And there's several stories, and I love David Bowie as well, but there are several stories about him having sexual relationships with girls who are 15 and 16 years old, which is obviously statutory rape, and she hadn't brought that up when she... So there is, I think, uh, an argument to be said that... Why why Kobe? Why is it just this... Why is it Kobe, yeah. you know? But I do think that David Bowie died post pre-Me Too. Yes. And, I, and this is post Me Too, and it's probably the, the first high-profile death of someone who's had this in their past, who this happened to at a time before Me Too happened, mm. who's died after Me Too happened. Mm. You know what I mean? And I do honestly think that if David Bowie had died recently, it there would, would be a much bigger conversation about yeah. that. So it's a very complicated issue. Yeah, 100%. I think, yeah, that it's a very important conversation to be had, but it needs to be had in the right way. I don't think it's yeah. necessary to put up a tweet like that hours after someone's died neither especially i think with the fact that his daughter died too it's just yeah i just think that that's part of the thing that just makes it feel a little bit i still feel so i still feel so kind of weird just about being in this age now with instagram and social media when someone dies when someone huge dies it just feels Mm. like such a click fest yeah as soon as he died and it was just posted everywhere and so many people were grieving but then you know E! News is posting 20 Lincoln bios for this and Lincoln mm-hmm. bio for that. And it just made me feel a bit sick. I didn't even want to post about it on After It Drinks because I was like, are we just jumping on this bandwagon? And when I saw his daughter died, I was like, oh, I actually feel so sad about this. But it's just, it's such a weird way to, I don't know. It's such a weird time. 
Yeah, it is. I think what it does to people socially when a, a really high-profile celebrity dies unexpectedly at a young age is it kind of shakes us all at once socially because it's this really shocking reminder about the fact that people can die all of a sudden. And yeah. And I think also it's, it's a funny thing for people to get their heads around grieving someone they'd never met. Yeah, totally. But it's a very real thing. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it is beyond um, heartbreaking for his family. Yeah, it's a horrible and thing to other happen. families. And I would say as well that I think that Twitter or anywhere where you can only get a point across in a very limited, unnuanced way is not the platform to be having a nuanced conversation about issues like this. Yeah. I feel like it's the biggest takeaway. Yeah, me too. The date, this date, I know it comes up every year and I'm not trying to tell anyone else what they should be doing or how they should be celebrating, but I feel like I have almost more reason than anyone else to love this country as much as I do because I'm the oldest of six kids, single mum, and I get to sit here on the Today Show and talk to you guys about this. I get to travel around the world with the Prime Minister and ask him questions about our issues. This is the best country in the world, no doubt. But I can't separate the 26th of January from the fact that my brothers are more likely to go to jail than they are to go to school. Or that my little sisters and my mum are more likely to be beaten and raped than mm. anyone else's sisters or mum. And that started from that day. People think 26th has always been Australia Day. The first Australia Day was in July, you know what I mean? So it's, <laughs> it's, it's crazy that we can't change that date. And it's, it still brings a lot of sorrow to our people, eh? And I think it's something that's got to be done. Something's got to change, yeah. It really needs for white people to understand the effect, the colossal effect that 228 years of denying our existence and our rights have had on our people. On to another major topic that's kind of always comes up every year on the same date, and that's Australia Day, so on January 26th. And I obviously am from New Zealand, so I didn't know all that much about Australia Day or the history. I knew that there was issues with it every year. I've always known that Australia Day is the day that Australia was invaded by British troops, whereas New Zealand's national holiday is Waitangi Day. So that's a day that the British troops signed a treaty with our native people. But I think it's kind of confusing as to why. Like, I can't get my head around why if there's such an outcry of anger and sadness that comes with this day that happens every year that's supposed to be the day that you guys are celebrating your country. Why wouldn't you just change the date? Yeah, so this is what I find interesting as well, and I think it's a sign of w passive activism versus active activism in terms of I think you have so many people who are like, yeah, change the date, but they're not doing anything to actively encourage changing the date. They just don't really care either way. And I think that that's actually where a lot of the problem lies because I don't think, obviously, there are people who I would say are fairly bigoted people who do not want to change the date, even though it's very viscerally painful for Indigenous and First Nation people mm. that that is the day where they are asked to celebrate loving their country. And so just to explain it a little bit further for anyone, obviously not from Australia, mm. can you say why, why it's a painful day? So the history of Australian colonisation, the history of colonisation in any country is horrendous and Australia is a just absolute prime example. I think that the way First Nations people were treated in Australia after British arrival 
has been and should be described as a genocide, essentially. Whole tribes and communities of people were wiped out. And even in the aftermath of that, you had the stolen generation in which uh, children were forcibly removed from their parents with an attempt to essentially breed out Indigenousness, which is completely revolting and was happening up until the 1970s. Mm. Um, Indigenous people were not even recognised as being people in the constitution until the 60s. And even now I have some statistics which I will read off my phone (laughs) because I don't know these off the top of my head. It's not as if these are all things that happened in the distant past and have no relevance to today. There's a whole big movement that's been around since I was in high school about closing the gap and the gap between life expectancy, infant mortality, uh, incarceration rates and whatnot among the Indigenous and non-Indigenous people in Australia is insane. So they make up for 3.3% of our population, but over a quarter of our prison population. 3.3%? Yeah, of the whole population. That's crazy. Yeah, it's horrendous. Between 2014 and 2016, children aged between zero and four were more than twice as likely to die if they're Indigenous and if they're not Indigenous. I read that... Indigenous men have one of the highest suicide rates in the world and that their children are almost 10 times more likely to be in state care. Yeah, I read a statistic that said that the number of Indigenous children in care has doubled since 2008, which was after Kevin Rudd issued an apology about the stolen generation. And I have friends that, yeah, it's insane. I have friends that work in Indigenous care who refer to what's happening now as a second stolen generation, essentially. So basically what Indigenous people are asking is that the date be changed so it's not a date where their people were brutally murdered. That so it's not people yeah. celebrating and drinking and celebrating Australia as a country on a day that represents their ancestors being murdered. Exactly. I just think it's not a particularly complicated thing and you have many other dates that are more symbolic of a unified Australian culture. I think it's really important to remember that while changing the date is a massive move forward, it is highly symbolic in terms of making actual structural parliamentary and government changes that will actually impact the lives of Indigenous people. But it is a very simple way to show that we as a country respect Mm. them and their history and that we do not want to celebrate that part of our history. Yeah. So Australia is one of the only countries in the Commonwealth that doesn't have a treaty with its Indigenous people, which is quite wild. Very wild. I'm curious to your perspective from it because I think we often see New Zealand as being the right way to do it compared to Australia. Yeah so I'm part Māori and I grew up um, my Meghan Markle moment was when I was like six years old because I'm, I have freckles pale skin but my last name is Rumi Hana. My stepdad adopted me so Truman is my last name from when I was about 18. So I'm a third Māori and I did kapahaka growing up. I know my tribes, everything like that. And just to quickly interject here, in Australians, we're taught to pronounce it Maori. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's you roll your R's. Maori. Maori. Yeah. Like that. So, yeah, if you're going to Taupo, it's Topo. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I grew up quite immersed in my culture. And, you know, my, my younger sister, her name's Nahiwi Remihana. Like, I, it's funny because you can't see that I have this. I think that's another kind of interesting thing that we can touch on a lot later is people who don't outwardly look mm. like their culture. It's a, it's a weird way to kind of you feel as though you sort of don't belong as mm. much. And I think actually referencing Megan Markle again, she said that where she is half 
white, half black, and then feels like she doesn't really fit anywhere. Whereas I look really white. White passing, yeah. they call it, right? Yeah. yeah, whereas I look really white. And so every time I would try to fit in or try to learn more about my culture, I felt like I didn't belong as much. But that was when I was six years old and I was told I couldn't join Kapahaka because I was too white. Really? Yeah. Wow. And I fully lost it and made my mum go and made my mum go to the school and then I was dressed in kapahaka gear. Wow. Um anyway, so I think obviously New Zealand is a much better example than Australia in terms of the fact that we celebrate Waitangi Day and we in a lot of ways, you know, you learn I learnt Māori in school, but there's still a lot of racism. In New Zealand, yeah, I for think sure. the idea that it somehow eradicated no, any racism definitely in New Zealand not. I, I felt racism towards me when ah. I would ever try to talk about my culture. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think Australians' history is obviously so important. I watched that Michael Moore documentary "Where to Invade Next" a couple of years ago, and he goes to all different countries and kind of cherry picks great learning tools from mainly European countries. And he did a, a really great segment about how German children are taught about the Holocaust. And they're taught no holds barred from age seven or something. Like there's no child grows up not understanding how horrific and brutal that event was. And the idea is that they need to have an honest understanding of history to ensure it never happens again. And I think in Australia, we have a a very, very limited history lesson Mm. about what colonization meant for indigenous people. And I think that has a big impact in our understanding of it because I think that everyone needs to watch rabbit proof fence. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Literally. We did watch rabbit proof fence in school, but movie I've ever seen. I think we history in Australia is short, you know. Mm. We're talking about the stolen generation happening up until the nineteen seventies. Like there are pictures of your parents. our age than walking around living a relatively modern normal life. So the idea that it happened so long ago why can't they get over it, quote, unquote, is completely ridiculous. But the fact that we weren't taught history, which helped us understand how that has led to current problems and the narrative of how that's happened, how people feel powerless, displaced, have no voice, have had to deal with isolation in being torn apart from their families, which has a huge impact on self-esteem and brain development. The fact that Alcohol and drugs were introduced to a culture that hadn't had time to acclimatise to it in the same way that a country like Britain has. That massive impact that's had on Indigenous people physically. I just think that the fact that we aren't given the tools to understand the way that we are complicit Mm. in other people's suffering is really negligent. And it means a lot of people are are super ignorant. Yeah. And it would feel really, really horrible to live in a country that doesn't care enough about your suffering. Marie Claire, your alumni, <laughs> yeah. um, did a fantastic campaign this month where mm-hmm. they had uh, Miranda Tapsall, Jessica Malboy and Sam Harris on the cover and did a whole issue dedicated to Indigenous issues in Australia. Um, and a huge part of what they talked about was in 2017, 250 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders gathered at Uluru and delivered what they called was the statement from the heart. And it was all about different objectives that would help Indigenous issues get recognised in Australian government. And one of them was this concept of voice. And it was this idea of having an independent body of Indigenous people that were consulted about changes to legislation that impact Indigenous people. So it's like... I just think that's incredibly fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> literally. Like, Can't see anything wrong with that. Can we not be represented? 
And um, Scott Morrison's already said he would veto any attempt to do it. Oh, my God. So things like that, I, I would say, more important than change the date, but ideally we just do both. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that's the thing. If these, if If people aren't represented, this is even completely changing the subject, but just to kind of, and as an example, the Oscars with women mm-hmm. not being nominated, mm-hmm. they're not being nominated because women aren't in the voting system. Yes. So if Indigenous people aren't included in politics and in in government, mm. then no one, like Scott, Mar- why would Scott Morrison care? Cause yeah, he exactly. He just He's cares about his own care. Yeah, exactly. History. And I feel like it's so important that people like Chris Hemsworth posted a big thing to millions of people saying to change the date. And that we're addressing this because even we were having this conversation before we recorded the podcast about how we felt as though we don't have a leg to stand on talking about these issues because they don't directly affect us. And it's two white women talking about other people's issues. But if we're not talking about this and if we're not trying to be allies, then that's a problem. Yeah, exactly. I think it's about letting Indigenous people speak on this this topic and, and holding the floor. But yes. unfortunately, powerful voices are always prioritised, which is why it's so important to be allies to people that mm. have less privilege than you. Yeah. So on that note, change the day. Change it. <laughs> it. March 18th, that's my birthday. Can yeah, it be Australia Day? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, very much in support of changing the day. Okay, we've got to get out of here because we were running late and we are taking up too much time in the studio. But please rate, review and subscribe. Um, you can follow us on Instagram, After Work Drinks Podcast. You can join our closed Facebook group, After Work Drinks Podcast. And we will see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.